Hello, and welcome to the Meals with the Master podcast. Are you tired and fed up of the same old, same old religion? Do you know that Jesus himself is pursuing you? He knows you. He is in love with you. He wants an intimate and personal relationship with you, and he wants to spend time with you. We live in the land of plenty, yet we are starving. We are kept busy by every activity known to man, yet we are always craving more and more and never satisfied. That is because that hunger can only be satisfied in God alone. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. When you come to his table, you will discover he is able to do more than you can ask or imagine. He is able to save you, establish you, keep you from falling, present you without fault, and make all grace abound toward you. He is able to deliver you and protect you. And everything in this meal has been made available to you and me free of charge, paid for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Talk about good news. Join us each week as we share real-life encounters with Jesus and chew on the Word of God one-on-one with our Savior. If you are hungry and thirsty to really know Him, or if you struggle with understanding the Bible, the greatest love letter of all, then this podcast is for you. No need to dress up, just come to the table just as you are and have a meal with the Master. And thank you for joining us this week on the Meals with the Master podcast. Today's message is entitled, Jesus, My Husband. According to David Pawson, he says, Being a Christian is not just going to church or reading the Bible or supporting missionaries. Being a Christian is being in love with the Lord. Isaiah 54, 5 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. Early in my walk with Jesus, I would occasionally watch shows on some of the Christian networks like TBN and Daystar. Just like an immigrant who watches television to learn the English language, I watched Christian television to learn the language of God. At that time, I had recently watched some sort of night of worship service with the T.D. Jakes ministry. And I was so taken back at how people had their arms raised and their eyes closed and were crying. Their faces had this kind of goofy look of love and joy, and they sang with great demonstrative emotion. I found it really strange since I had never experienced that kind of worship, nor felt that way in my heart toward God yet. They were singing the song, I Love You, Lord, by Lori Klein. It's now one of my favorites. And even though I didn't understand or feel what they were were feeling at that moment, I couldn't stop watching. Something inside me wanted to know what about. You see, God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. We were created to worship him, to know him and his ways, to be filled and satisfied by him and him alone. A lesson that I still had so much to learn about. So I said to God, I want to know what they're feeling and why they're so into it. Well, be careful what you pray for, because that is exactly what God was about to show me. 
A few months later, my son was spending the night at a friend's house. So I had a rare night off as a single mother. And after work, I picked up some Chinese food and I headed home looking forward to my dinner, a hot shower, and an early night to bed. And as I sat down to indulge in some General Tso's chicken, I turned on the television and happened to land on Joyce Myers speaking. The timing was perfect as it always is with God. You see, I was probably at the loneliest point after my divorce. And after being with one person for 13 years of your life and then alone for a while with a broken heart, I was all out of sorts. No one else knew just how lonely and empty I was, but God knew exactly what I needed that night. She was talking about intimacy with Jesus, and she challenged her audience to date Jesus, to set an extra place setting for Jesus at your table the next time you sit down for a meal. It was literally at the exact moment I was sitting down at my kitchen table to eat my General Tso's chicken. It stopped me in my normal tendency to want to wolf down my food. She went on to share about the word of God and she said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20 You know when you have that weird feeling that someone is in your house with you? I was totally freaked out. I started looking up and all around, and in my mind I was saying, What the heck? God, are you watching me right now as I eat? Joyce again challenged her audience to date Jesus. Date Jesus? What? At meals, talk to him about my day as if I was coming home to my husband and sharing the highlights of my day over a glass of wine and some dinner. She went on to describe... Dancing after dinner with Jesus to your favorite, quote, slow dance song. Taking a walk with Jesus through a park and on and on. Get to know your husband, Jesus. Jesus, my husband? Again, I was totally weirded out by the whole thing. But it was as if God had opened up a door to my curiosity about this whole dating Jesus thing. And the fact that the Bible spoke of him as a husband? Well, needless to say, I had much to learn, but that night I went to my cupboard. I put out another place setting at the table. I giggled to myself thinking I had completely lost my mind, but I began to talk to him as if he was right there at the table with me sharing my General So's chicken. As bizarre as it sounds, I actually began to feel like he was there with me. After dinner, I turned on some music and I air danced with Jesus. What a moment. It brought me back to when, as a little girl, I would stand on top of my daddy's feet and he would waltz me around the room. My heart began to open to him. I felt his presence. I cried as I danced because for the first time, I actually knew in some small way that he was totally and completely in love with little old me, a lonely, exhausted single mom from some little podunk town in Maryland was dancing with God Almighty. It sounds crazy, I know, but those who know what I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. It was the best date I had ever been on my life. I don't know how to explain it in words, but the intimacy I felt that night was like no other that I felt in some 30 years of my life. Thank you to Joyce Myers for that challenge. It rocked my world, and I have since had many, many, many dates with Jesus. Girls, the best remedy to loneliness is spending time alone with Jesus. He will fill your heart in ways that no human can. He accepts you just the way you are.
You don't have to impress him. Just let him pour out his extravagant love and grace upon you. I worked at a nonprofit that assisted breast cancer patients through their journey a couple of years later. We supplied wigs and prosthetics and support and counsel, and one of the women that I worked with was a proclaimed atheist. One day, we were putting together a staff list, which included our birthdays, addresses, phone numbers, and spouses' names. I was still single, so I put Jesus in the spouse category on my line. This woman ridiculed me continuously for putting that down. She would mock me and joke every time we had a staff meeting or an after-hours get-together. She would laugh and say, is your husband joining us? And I would smile and say, he's always with me. This taunting went on for the whole year that she worked there. Finally, she moved out of the area for a new relationship. Several years later, I ran into her back in our local town at a Christian women's conference. She had moved back, apparently, and had been saved in that time frame. She apologized for me for taunting me and making fun of me and now had a personal relationship with Jesus. She went on to thank me for saying that Jesus was my husband to her. She said it was such a witness, and now she understood what I meant. God is awesome, isn't he? My son also dated a young woman all through high school. She had suddenly broken up with him during their freshman year in college uh, to, to pursue some other interest. It, was, uh, it hurt my son a lot, and several months later, she called me in tears to apologize for how she had hurt him and how she was really struggling with the partying and drugs and alcohol at that time. She had become someone she didn't recognize. She'd been surrounded by religion her whole life, but didn't yet have a personal relationship with Jesus. Fast forward about a year, I received another phone call from her. She could hardly contain herself and proceeded to share with me her encounter with Jesus and her new life in him. I sat in a parking lot literally for two hours as she went on and on about Jesus and the transformation that had occurred inside her heart and in her life. She thanked me over and over for calling Jesus my husband. Honestly, I don't even remember doing that, but apparently it made a huge impact on her. She said she thought I was so weird every time I said it, but it was one of the things that she had always remembered and was a powerful witness to her. I was crying in the car when we got off the phone, so grateful to God for how he had revealed himself to her and pursued her relentlessly. He is so good. The ancient Jewish wedding has special relevance in our day. When Jesus comes in the clouds to take us away with him at the rapture, he's not going to come as a carpenter or a rabbi or a teacher or a shepherd, nor even a high priest. He's coming again as a bridegroom king. At this very moment, his heart is longing for the day when he will gather his bride unto himself. This union has been in the heart and plan of God from the beginning of time. In fact, the entire Bible is the story of how God was seeking a bride for his son. Page after page, book after book, the thread of his passionate pursuit is weaved throughout. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The most intimate of human relationships is the marriage relationship. 
As such, it is a picture of the intimacy that the individual believer can have with God. Captured by his love, cleansed by blood, transformed by his spirit, Messiah's bride will one day stand before him without spot or wrinkle. As the bridegroom says in the Song of Songs, You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. Song of Songs 4, 7. He is the one who accomplishes this work in his bride. Oh my gosh, that just should bring you to your knees in complete gratefulness for that. You know, even as adults, we're still captivated by the prince and princess dreams, like the fact that 2 billion people worldwide watched the royal wedding. Did you get that? 2 billion. The BBC puts it into perspective by comparing it to the biggest ever global audience for a single television event, which was an estimated only 1 billion, and that was for the 2008 opening ceremony of the Olympic Games in Beijing. So why are we so fascinated with royal love? Thousands flocked to bars and restaurants, planned elaborate parties in their homes, flew thousands of miles, slept in sleeping bags for days out on the streets of London, all hoping for just a glimpse of the first kiss from the balcony of the palace. In ancient Israel, brides were usually chosen by the father of the bridegroom. He would send his most trusted servant to search for a bride for a son. Many times the bride had not seen her husband-to-be, but had found out about him through the servant. The Jewish bridegroom always initiated the love. A bride price, or mohar, was then paid for a bride. The price was paid to the father of the bride, both to compensate him for the loss of a worker in his household and to show how much the bridegroom loved and valued the bride. She was bought with a price, which in those days meant she was cherished and valued. Then there was the betrothal, or the engagement. This actually comes from the Hebrew word for holy, kadosh, meaning literally sanctification with that idea of being set apart. The betrothal occurred up to 12 months before the actual wedding, and it involved covenant. Covenant in the Bible times was, it was pretty serious. It was final. It was sealed in blood and legally binding. In essence, the couple was married in all aspects except for the physical consummation of the marriage. A ketubah or contract would be presented to the father of the bride that contained the bride price and other provisions that the bridegroom was preparing for his bride. He would promise to work and support her, provide food, clothing, necessities, honor her, and live together with her. When the terms of the ketubah were accepted, a cup of wine was shared to seal the marriage covenant. The bride and groom shared the same cup, symbolizing that this new shared life would be theirs. A second cup of wine would be shared many months later. Betrothal included the giving of gifts by the bridegroom to his bride, whether it was a ring or a coin or whatever. It made the bride think about her bridegroom, much like the engagement ring in our culture. The bride would go through a ritual immersion in water as part of her physical and spiritual preparation for the wedding ceremony. This represented a separation from an old life to a new life, from life as a single woman to life as now a married woman. And it also symbolized a change from being under the authority of her father to the authority of her husband, similar to the symbolism of our water baptism. Once the marriage covenant was sealed, the bridegroom left his bride to go to his father's house to prepare a wedding chamber for her. 
He would be gone for up to a year, and during this time, the bride would prepare herself to leave her family's home. She had no idea what day or hour her bridegroom would return for her to take her to the wedding chamber. The groom himself didn't even know when he could go claim his bride. Only his father knew. The father was the one who would decide when all was ready for the wedding, when the bridal chamber was complete, when the fullness of time had come. Jewish bridegrooms usually came for their brides late at night, near the midnight hour. Shofars would suddenly blow and there would be shouts in the streets and a torchlight procession that would wind its way through the town in the home of the bride. She would be carried in a covered or box-like carriage, carried by poles resting on the shoulders of four to six men, accompanied by musicians and singers and dancers, friends, family, and bridal attendants carrying torches. The bride would be attired in her finest clothing, decked with jewels, glowing and beautiful. They would confirm their vows under the hoopah and then begin a week-long celebration. Does this sound familiar? Likewise, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are his bride. The Holy Spirit goes out all over the earth seeking a bride for God's Son. Many will resist him, but not all. He chooses us. Most of us, including myself, were pursued by the Lord for quite a while before I ever acknowledged his presence or reached out to him. We, as the bride of Christ, have been purchased. A very high price was paid, the blood of Jesus himself. 1 Peter 18-19 through 19 says, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Messiah, as of a lamb without blemish or without spot. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. And 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Embracing the fact that we no longer belong to ourselves because we have been bought with a price is a key to entering into the abundant life that Jesus has for us. When we give him all of us, he freely gives us all of him. You see, our faith has to go deeper than the doctrine that we've learned by just going to church going through the motions, but having no real intimate, personal, and passionate relationship with Jesus. Our knowledge about Jesus is worthless unless it leads to a complete surrender of ourselves to him. How can we withhold anything from him when the high price he paid for us shows us how valuable we are to him? In fact, when Jesus cried, it is finished from the cross in John 19, did you know that the word is from the root kalal in Hebrew, and it means complete, to make perfect, or to finish? It is the same root of the word for bride, kalah. Hmm, sounds like his bride was on his heart every moment of his suffering. Incredible. Today, God's Holy Spirit is our spiritual engagement ring, and he reminds us continually to focus on our heavenly bridegroom. He doesn't call attention to himself, but rather to the one who purchased us. We as believers are alive to God, submitted to a new master Jesus, our bridegroom king. We've been cleansed by his blood, and we await his promise to return. And although that was over 2,000 years ago, his promise is still good, and his return is very near.
And at that moment of the rapture, we too will hear a shout, as well as the sound of the shofar. It will all happen in the twinkling of an eye. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. First Thessalonians four sixteen to 17 Let us prepare our hearts for his coming, and look up, for our redemption draws near. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to picture yourself standing before him right now and give these marriage vows to Jesus. I do believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I do admit I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I do truly believe that Jesus suffered and died on the cross for my sins and was resurrected and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. I do repent of all my sin and desire to turn from it. I do give you my heart and my whole life. I do trust you with my future. I do receive your total forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. I do receive your love and my salvation today. If you are already a believer in Jesus Christ, let's renew our vows to him today. I will stop making excuses and schedule time each day to wait in his presence. I will ask God to increase my hunger for awareness of his presence. I will deal with areas of compromise and sin that might distract me from focusing on him or distort my perception of who he is. I will spend time meditating on his word and asking the Holy Spirit to help me to understand and receive God's promises and truth revealed in it. I will make worship a lifestyle by filling my home and car with worship music, setting an atmosphere for awareness of his presence throughout the day. I will guard my eyes and ears from anything that would contaminate my mind and my spirit. I will trade in a faith that is fragile and tentative for a faith that can endure anything. I will trade in a weak and fading love for God's kingdom, for a love that runs deep and strong. I will trade in a casual interest in the eternal life, which God has promised for a raging hunger. I will trade in a commitment that is divided and distracted for one that is single-minded and focused on Jesus. And here are Jesus' vows to you. He says, follow me, believe in me, and I will put my laws in your minds and write them on your heart. Hebrews 8.10 I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 I will instruct and guide you. Psalm 32.8 I will deliver you when you call on me in the day of trouble. Psalm 50, 15. I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 4, 19. I will be your God and you will be my people. Hebrews 8, 10. I will be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and your lawless deeds. I will remember them no more. Hebrews 8, 12. I will strengthen you and help you. Isaiah 41, 10. I will dwell in you, 2 Corinthians 6.16. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, Isaiah 41.10. I will give you rest, Matthew 11.28. I will comfort you and come to you, John 14.18. I will heal you, Matthew 8.7. I will love you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31.3. 
I will defend and protect you. Psalm 94, 22. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. I will be with you until the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. I will raise you up at the last day. John 6, 40. And I will come back for you. John 14, 3. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be sure to check out our online ministry, The King's Table, at www.eattheword.org, where you can connect with us on Facebook, check out our YouTube channel, and read our blog. Thanks again so much. Be blessed.